Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition, another chapter, another episode. Are you tired of me telling you that? I am tired of saying it. Ah, my New Year's resolution. Well, I'll be late with New Year's resolution because this is a new into the New Year's broadcast. But uh, my February one resolution is to narrow that down so I don't waste so much time words there and more content from my guest. Well, anyway, today I have a guest who's been here before for a few different reasons, and he's working diligently on getting his own podcast going, which will be great. And uh, his name is Mr. Tim Coffey. And Tim, welcome back to the Down Under studio. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be here. Yeah. Or yeah. as the Beatles say, hello, goodbye. Yeah, hello. That's right, they do. Well, Mr. Beatles here. You guys can't see it because I have a face for radio, so there's no camera in the studio. But he's got a black, long-sleeve The Beatles t-shirt on today, just for the occasion. And when he was so polite enough to kick his shoes off after he walked through the snow, he has Beatles socks on. And I'm not going to ask if he's wearing any undergarments that have The Beatles on. That wouldn't wouldn't be appropriate. But anyway... uh, so we're, we're going to cut through the chase because we've talked about the Beatles before, and Tim and I have gotten to be pretty good friends. We did a lifelong learning class at the local college uh, for other seniors like ourselves on podcasting. And what, what's your Beatles one going to be again? It's called uh, Love and Peace, a Beatles podcast. Okay. So um, when that comes live, I will make that announcement. Thank and, you. And... Uh, Get that going. But today I'm going to ask you, the Beatles became popular, and you can tell me the year, but in a small little place where a lot of people love to play, and I know you have it on your bucket list to visit, the Cavern in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. Uh, From 1961 through 63, they played primarily over lunchtime uh, at the Cavern over 300 times. Wow. And 365 uh, obviously, days in a as, year. as time went on, they became better. The Cavern is also where Brian Epstein discovered the Beatles. Okay. After Their his manager. Re- yeah, after his record store was bombarded by, by teenagers requesting uh, Beatle, Beatle records that he didn't have. Okay. Okay. Well, I like to listen to, um, oh, no, two, two girls from Austria, and they do a lot of Beatles cover. The Lisa, oh, now it's escaping me, Mona Lisa Twins. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they do a lot of Beatle covers, and it's it's uh, in the cavern, and they're obviously are attractive young women in the cavern, and they have, other than good cover music, they have... Uh, awesome cameras all over and and the back or i would call it the band shell of of this has a lot of scribbles and writings on kind of like a green room would and i always think oh man this was a tiny little stage of course they were skinny little teenagers too uh you know from the pictures i've seen but did they ever perform with any other popular i'll call them rock stars i don't know if it was rock or rock and roll, what they played, or what it was classified. Did they ever squeeze up another famous person on stage with them? They were they were the 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 cover group or or front group for um, some stars. Roy Orbison was oh, big yeah. in England. Pretty and they pretty toured, woman, right? They toured with him. The story there, 
um, they were on the bus with Roy Orbison and uh, Paul McCartney went back and Orbison was in the very back seat of the bus and Paul was just didn't say anything was just looking at, at what Orbison was doing and he kind of signaled to John and to George and to Ringo to come back and Orbison was writing Pretty Woman. Oh, and, really? And he performed it on the bus for him. So the Beatles were the very first uh, ones to hear Pretty Woman. Wow, that's that's an interesting fact that yeah. not many people know. And and there was another one that wasn't big in, in the United States, but a a a, um, uh, a star called Tony Sheridan uh, in England, and he went to to Hamburg too. Uh, the Beatles provide were, were the backup group playing in in a couple of songs that that Tony Sheridan um, uh, recorded. And that was the impetus of girls in Liverpool coming to Brian Epstein's record store asking for the Beatles record with Tony Sheridan. And Brian Epstein didn't didn't really know who the Beatles were, and he discovered them. So. Wow. Okay, so you mentioned Hamburg, and that's in Germany. Why were the Beatles so stinking popular in Germany? Was it a geographic thing? Because Germany's not far from Liverpool, is it? Uh, no, no. And it's a seaport. Um uh, Alan Williams, who was, uh, I think, an editor of the Mercy Beat in Liverpool. I could be wrong on that. Anyway, he was kind of not a manager, but he look, hooked up the, the Beatles uh, and other Liverpool groups in, in Hamburg strip clubs. And uh, Did you say strip clubs? Yeah, these were actual strip clubs. Okay. Uh, in, in really a bad part of, of Hamburg where prostitutes were and this and that. But uh, So the Beatles played there six days a week. For eight hours at a day at a time. Is that where the song Eight Days a Week came from? That no, but there's okay. another story of that though. But I'm uh, sure there is. <laughs> anyway, it's it's uh, I call Hamburg the Beatles finishing school because they went there three different times, I think once for as long as two months. Oh wow. And every time they came back, they were a much tighter and much better group. And so Hamburg really kind of defined and refined the Beatles and their act because look if you're playing eight hours a day for six days a week you better be good or the Germans and the seaport people will will rock you off the, the stage real quick so the guitar players John played guitar and Paul played guitar with his left hand mm -hmm. he's a lefty did they uh, have bloody fingertips from I don't know I know I... Paul Paul taught John a lot of uh, chords. Uh, John's mother played the banjo. John only knew four banjo chords, and that was it. Paul really refined that to him. Uh, Stuart Sutcliffe was a bass player and um, didn't really know how to play the, the bass, but he was really a handsome guy. The girls loved him, and he always played with his back to the audience to create some mystique. Oh. And, uh, but he ended up staying in, in um, Hamburg, he fell in love with, with a photographer that the Beatles became friends with called a a Astrid Kirshner. And she was the one who really got the Beatle haircut going and also took a picture of the Beatles that now was on their very first album. Uh, they're wearing black turtlenecks with a black background, uh, Meet the Beatles. Oh, okay. So, Wow. So it, is that why you play the bass? Because the girls <laughs> go nuts over you? How I wish. Yeah. Oh, all right then. Yeah, well... Yeah. I knew, I knew there was something here. So here's a question about one of their songs. What's the back story to the song Mrs. Robinson? 
Mrs. Robinson? Well, that's Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, I got the wrong notes here. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't trip you up. This guy knows the Beatles because he knew <laughs> he knew that wasn't it. So I'm, I think I meant Lucy in the Sky. Lucy in the Sky. Uh, everybody said it was LSD. Uh-huh. Uh, the BBC banned it because the initials LSD. John said it was his son, Julian, coming home from school um, and described a thing going on at school, like a little circus or something, and John listened to his son, and he kind of wrote a, a song based on that. So, uh, Lucy, and, it's uh, how are the lyrics? Lucy in the Sky, sky with, with diamonds. diamonds? Yeah. So they had diamonds in the school? Well, again, John loved to play with words and... Love to say, instead of eyes, he would say diamonds. Instead of glasses, he'd say beepers. I, you know, he loved to, to play off words and all, though. But, but you know, it's uh, made him such a great songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Because you had to think about it. But it, that's an example of how a, a situation, an experience, or something triggered something in one of them to write a song about it. And okay. it may not be exactly about it, but it would represent something similar. Interesting. So as I've heard, most songwriters are also poets. So that's why he is a poet as well as a songwriter. He just puts his poetry to music. Well, yeah, you could say that. Uh, and and the Beatles melody, I here's a way to describe Beatles music. And again, I may have said this in your first show, but years ago, I sat in a uh, interview with Tom Brokaw about his book called Boom about the boomers' generation. Okay. And after, the, after an hour-long interview, a great interview, Tom was asked by the interv uh, interviewer, uh, Tom, you wrote this great book about the, the 60s generation, the boomers. What's the one thing that stands out in your mind? And Tom thought a little bit. He came back and he said, the music. He said, we listen to the music of the 60s today. In the 60s, we didn't listen to the music of the 20s. So True. The music of the 60s had a true impact upon multiple generations going forward. And it still does today. Yep. On my Sirius XM radio in my car, I like to listen to the Beatles channel. Oh, yeah. 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 And sing along. And if I don't know the words, I fake it because I don't have to make it. And that's <laughs> that's what we all do, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could do a whole show, not on, <laughs> on Beatles, but on misconceived lyrics Yeah, that, that we all thought of maybe we'll do that sometime okay. uh, too bad my assistant's not here we could get her get him to write a note down i'm sure johnny g's all over this like good cake okay <laughs> so i'm going to ask you with about nine minutes left tell me a story about each of the beetles and i know you have so much information tucked away in your gray matter that if you can only get one or two done, we'll just have you back another time and we'll talk some more Beatles because I've gotten people who have listened to you in the past with all your Beatles knowledge and they say, hey, Ed, I listened to your podcast. You know, you had that one about the Beatles. They don't remember you, Tim Coffey, but they're... That's fine. And, and all of a sudden it was over. Well, we could have listened longer. I said, I'll remedy that for you. So uh, who, who do you want to go with first? George, since he was the first one to... I shouldn't say exit the band, but he passed away first, right? Uh, no, John did. Oh, John did? Yeah. Okay. George See, died in 2001. He knows it all. George died in 2001, and John died in 1980, of course, 
by being assassinated. Yeah, I uh, saw where he was assassinated when I was in New York City. Yeah, in front of the Dakotas. Yeah. Um, well, John Lennon, let's start with him. He was the founder, and um, one of the links that he and Paul had, and it's it's not the best club in the world to belong to, but he and John had something incredibly in common, and that is both of their mothers had died. Oh. And that was kind of a bond that, that nobody could take away because they went through it themselves and nobody knew what they went through except them. Right, right. You, um, you, you, that would impact you at a very young age, yeah. losing your mother. But uh, uh, John was, was somebody who was blind as a bat and refused to wear glasses on stage because he didn't think it was proper. But after Buddy Holly came out, Buddy Holly was famous and came on Ed Sullivan and other shows wearing glasses. That's right. And, Paul, and, and now they're in vogue, those black glasses. Yeah. Uh, and Paul would say to John, hey, wear glasses. Buddy Holly does. So oh, okay. It, it took him a couple of years to get over that. But uh, Paul is Paul started out playing the trumpet. And really? Did, yeah, his father bought him a trumpet, and he didn't like it. And he told his dad, can you get me a guitar? Uh, Paul's father, Jim, was in a a little jazz band. He played the piano, and I think it was called Jim McCartney's All-Star Band or something like that. And uh, they would have a lot of family over all the time, uh, even though Paul's mother was gone. Aunts and uncles, and the dad would play. And, and so Paul came from a pretty musical background and, and family. Sure. Um, George was the one who really was the dedicated guitar learner and lover. And from an early age, he learned how to play the guitar and loved learning about it, loved playing. And of course, later down the road, he got in, 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 infatuated with things like the sitar from the, the visit to India and right. Indian music and, and all. Um, Ringo was interesting because he was the last one to come. And he had somewhat of an inferiority complex, thinking that I wasn't really part of this group from the beginning. I'm kind of an add-on. And and had to overcome some some feelings of not really feeling that he belonged, even though the Beatles did their best. To did make they it. do group hugs back in the 60s? Like <laughs> like now they do group hugs? Yeah, who knows? I've had Ed make an egg. I've had friends make an Ed sandwich out of me. So Well, the Beatles had drugs, so maybe that oh, was it. All right. <laughs> Um, but Ringo... Pete Best, excuse me for interrupting. He was the original drummer, yeah, correct? he was. See, I know a little bit, but that's because hanging out with this guy is rubbing off on me. Well, and, and Pete was the drummer simply because the Beatles needed a drummer. Pete had a drum kit. They said, come on, we need a drummer to go to Hamburg. And Pete wasn't that very good on the drum drums, but he got better as time went on. Uh, George Martin, when the Beatles went to audition... Um, George Martin said, I'll record you, but you have to get a different drummer. And the Beatles mm -hmm. left it to Brian Epstein to tell Pete that he's no longer in the group. And before they he did that, uh, Martin and Brian Epstein said, who do you want? And they said, Ringo Starr, because Ringo at that time was probably the most accomplished drummer in Liverpool of all the different groups. So they got that's how they got Ringo. But Ringo was not on their very first uh, record, Love Me Do. So Ringo came in, and they were recording, and there's a drummer there, 
where Ringo was supposed to be. Ringo was on the tambourine on that one. Oh. And he was really upset. But they, they did, they recorded that music, that record twice, and the second time he was on it. So Interesting. So is it, they recorded it, did they press the vinyl without him on it, or did they just release it with him on it? If you hear Love Me Do with the, uh, a cymbal or tambourine, that's, that's uh, uh, Ringo not on the drums. Okay. Okay, that's your signal right there. So. Okay, can I find that on YouTube? I'd like to... Uh, you probably could. Yeah, 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 everything's out there. So the guy who gets the notoriety now because he is, what, 80 years old and he's still putting on concerts is Sir Paul because he's, be, he's been knighted. Mm -hmm. And who is he knighted by? Obviously the Queen. The she queen. was Queen forever until yeah. a few months ago. And, and actually... Uh, uh, Ringo's knighted too. Very few people know that. It's oh, Sir, well, Sir, I Sir Richie. Now my audience knows it. So Sir Richie Starkey. Um, yeah, Paul's Paul's been. He loves to perform, and as they were doing Sergeant Pepper, and they 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 made a decision way prior to Sergeant Pepper, not to 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 tour, uh, because of all the hassles of airplane, hotel room, coliseum, hotel room yeah, security. Just, yeah. Uh, they they said no, but Paul wanted to go back on the road, and the Beatles, especially George, said no way. Uh, and Paul even had these exotic things. Let's let's rent a yacht and do concerts on the yacht in different ports. No, let's go to Libya and do some things there in the recording center. No. And what what years would this have been? This would have been during the the recording of Sergeant Pepper. Uh huh. Uh, so that would have been uh, late nineteen sixty six, early nineteen sixty seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, think how the sound equipment has changed since then, yeah. especially with outdoor performances, although they did an outdoor performance at Shea Stadium. Am yep. I correct on that? And that was the largest outdoor uh, audience ever? Well, that was the first time a, a concert of, of, any type, of any type of music was ever done in a baseball stadium. And the Beatles used the baseball PA system oh, because wow. they had no other choice. <laughs> And with all that screaming, somehow the, the sound did get out, but they were also recording that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, Tim, time flies by because we're already at the commute time wow. uh, for the average person to go to work, which is why I keep it at 20 minutes plus an attention span as well. So um, I'm going to give you a verbal invitation to come back sometime when you have time. And we will continue our talk about the Beatles, because there's a lot left to talk about. Tim gives classes on the Beatles out at the college. So, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, um, appreciate you listening. Tim, thank you for coming. Thank you, Ed, for having me. And um, Hello, we, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> he's got them all, let me tell you. Maybe we'll get him to bring his bass guitar and sing next oh, time. Oh, Lord. All right, then. <laughs> Uh, on behalf of myself and uh, Mr. Tim Coffey, Mr. Beatles, uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Tell your friends, tell your family, and uh, it's a good way to kill some drive time. So with that being said, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>